Soccer 101, the podcast where we scratch the soccer riches you never knew you had. Today, we're talking about one of the very worst things that can happen to your club. If your club plays in a league with the relevant structure, that is relegation. Premier League fans will see teams like Fulham and Norwich oscillating between relegation and promotion each season, as if stuck in a perpetual loop of joy and heartbreak. But for some clubs, relegation comes as a shock. Today, we're looking at the teams who didn't see the drop coming and who really shouldn't have been in a position to go down. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, we have Mr. Taylor Rockwell. Hello. And we have Graham Ruffin. Hello, Ryan Bailey. Hello, Graham. Now we're going to get into relegation. I am going to drop in the fact that I support a team that has been relegated twice during my fandom. That team is Wimbledon. We were relegated from the Premier League in 2000 and last year uh, from League One into League Two. Pretty devastating in both instances, but not entirely surprising. Uh, Let's kick off. Uh, Graham, has a team you follow ever been relegated? Yes, unfortunately, quite often. Sterling Albion have been relegated, I think, three times in the last 10 years. And that pretty much is in line with when I started to become a Sterling Albion fan. Slightly longer than that, I think about 15 years. The first five years were good and we won promotion a couple of times. The last 10 years, not so good. And really now every season, the aim is just to stay in the, the Scottish League pyramids it feels like we we might drop out at any point and that's maybe a good place to start with relegation is actually just to to cover what relegation is for anyone who who, who doesn't know of course mls is a, is a league structure that doesn't have uh, have relegation along with good net noises those are two things that mls is is lacking <laughs> traditionally speaking though soccer soccer operates in in pyramids and there is mobility between each level of the pyramid so if you finish in one of the relegation places near the bottom of a league or at the bottom of a league you drop down into the league below and of course on the flip side of this you have promotion and if you finish in one of the promotion places near the top of a league or at the top of a league you move up a, des- a division. So, for example, Burnley, Watford, and North City, they finished as the bottom three in the Premier League last season. And so this season, they are in the Championship. They are indeed. Um, we're going to be talking about surprising relegations in this episode. Taylor, your team, Man United, uh, have not been relegated in our lifetime, but there was a surprise relegation in 1973 uh, 74 for Manchester United. That was six years after the team won the European Cup. the Champions League equivalent with George Best, who left during that relegation season. And I think Graham mentioned this on another show yeah. uh, recently. It was Dennis Law, a former United legend, who uh, scored a goal for Manchester City in the last game of the season against United, which triggered that relegation. So Betrayal. there's some big shocks out there, Tay-Tay. There, there are indeed. It's, it's interesting to read about that one because my Man United fandom starts uh, a little bit later than 1974, since I didn't start until about a decade after that. Uh, I didn't start being a human, that is. Uh, but I, I think I <laughs> think it's always, it? It, it's, it's always interesting to read about those moments that like aren't in your lifetime or didn't immediately affect you because I think that is sort of the difference between being a fan that comes to it later on and a fan that's born into it is you're sort of born with that trauma I think and you're reminded of that trauma and that things can go wrong whereas I think for a lot of Man United fans they could never be relegated that could never happen we could never have one of our club legends score the goal that relegates us although we'll see how the next couple seasons go maybe it ends up being I don't know I don't know who the club legend would be now if Ronaldo switches sides and relegates Man United maybe that's it. Uh, yeah, this, Man United could be added to this episode if we redo it next year quite feasibly, <laughs> uh, Taylor. Um, we are going to be talking about some more modern uh, shock relegations than 1974. Before we get there, gents, 
I've got a little quiz for you. Yeah. Uh, I want you to name the teams who've never been relegated from European top flights. Graham, there are six teams who've mm-hmm. not been relegated from the Premier League. That is when soccer was invented in England in 92, the Premier League. Do you know those six teams? Okay, so this was in a running order, and I swear I tried my best not to Google this because I actually wanted the quiz element of it. So just in the Premier League era you're talking about, right? Since 1992. Sure. Right, okay, so Manchester United is one. Mm-hmm. Um, Chelsea has to be another. Everton, yep. because they always go on about it, and it yep. feels like that might change relatively soon. Uh, Liverpool yep. and Arsenal? Am I missing yep. anyone? You're missing one. Uh, Arsenal's name Oh, no. Oh, Tottenham, of course. Right, Tottenham. There we go. go. Uh, Tete, uh, there are three Liga teams. La Liga in Spain. Uh, La Liga started in 1929. Oh, wow, are we going through every league here? (laughs) No, just just, just a few, just a few. Uh, There's there's some interesting ones here because La Liga's got three, Taylor. Do you know those? Barcelona, Real Madrid. Uh, Atleti has been relegated. Valencia. Valencia? It is Athletic Club to Bilbao. Oh, of course, oh, yeah, of course. Despite their cantera policy of only having Basque players, they are the third team. They've come close a couple times, but they have never been relegated. Uh, Bundesliga, Graham. Anyone there? Oh wow. Okay. Um, I'm struggling well, say, because I know I know that Bayern Munich. I know Bayern Munich have been relegated in the sixties, and recently it was Hamburg, who I think we're going to more on that later. I but obviously too. they've been relegated. Go ahead, Taylor. Uh, I'm going to guess this is a technicality question, and I'm going to say the only answer is RB Leipzig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's nobody. Yeah, basically, he's been relegated from the top flight, apart, apart from ones who started up relatively yeah, recently. Exactly. It. Yeah. yeah. Uh, only one team in Serie A has not been relegated from Serie A. Graham? Uh, well, obviously, it's, I, I would only really go with three, and I know it's not Juventus for obvious reasons, <laughs> so it's between the two Milan clubs, so I'm going to go Inter. Corretto! Oh, yes, 50-50 coin flip. Well done, well done. And there's a few in Scotland as well, Graham. I'm imagining you could... Uh, oh, I think there's two, actually, in Scotland. Yeah, so until recently, yeah. or fairly recently, I guess, um, it was the two obvious ones, and then Aberdeen, and then, again, another another club's relegation that I think we're going to speak about later. Rangers uh, suffered relegation, so they're not including that group anymore, so the two are Celtic and Aberdeen. Well done, Graham. What a good quiz, everybody. Congratulations to all. Uh, We are very wise. Let's move on to um, an organisation that wasn't so wise just after the millennium, Leeds United. Uh, I mentioned on another show, if you go to Wikipedia and you look up doing a Leeds, there is an entire page, Taylor, on what Leeds did. Uh, Just a couple seasons after being in the Champions League semi-finals, they flirted with a title challenge. They had uh, nine-figure debts. Um, They... Didn't do very well thereafter. Went insolvent in 2007, Tay-Tay. Yeah, and nine-figure debts at a time when that me- that money like actually meant something. Uh, that Yeah, because that's what, early 2000s when the transfer record was like £30 million or something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's, it's strange to think about Leeds from the present-day context. We did a show about them, uh, Americans Abroad. Uh, we're recording this August, what, 11th, 12th, something like that. Uh, we did it earlier in the week, and Joe mentioned that moving from Leipzig to Leeds was a bit of a step down. I think he said it was like two rungs below Leipzig because Leipzig were in the Champions League and were sort of theoretically challenging for the title. That wasn't going to be the case for Leeds. And he is correct. They're not going to be challenging for the title. But I think that was also an interesting moment of 
I guess like an age Joe's divide. Young. Yeah, of Joe being wrong. Joe's not here, he can't defend himself. No, but young, just... sorry, I said Joe being young. <laughs> yeah, young exactly. Wrong. Well, both. Things can be two things. Uh, but in this case, yeah, it's, it's Joe's being young and being wrong. Uh, but that, like, I think if you're newer to soccer or younger, yeah, they're just a promoted club. Like, you know, they kind of used to be good, but now here they are. Maybe you've seen the, seen the damned United and you know that element of, the, of their history. But they were, by, like, they were a massive club and I think still could be, but. Are, are a team that has won the league many times and has ha- had a ton of history and a very competitive, successful history at that. They've had huge players um, who probably could have made them a Premier League elite club if they had managed their money better. So for them to have fallen the way they did is almost unprecedented. Yeah. I think there's a few other clubs who've had sort of downturns in fortune, but Leeds chief among them in their going from prestige to the lack of prestige. Yeah, I think there's two things that make Leeds' downfall so remarkable. The first one is they were they were the last team to win the English title before the Premier League era, and I know the Premier League era is now thirty years uh, thirty years old, which seems remarkable to me. I can't believe that's thirty years, but nonetheless, in the grand scheme of things, that isn't that long ago. And so for Leeds to have gone from there to the third tier of, of English football not long after that. The other thing is my formative years and as a football fan were the late 90s and early 2000s and Leeds at that time, particularly the early 2000s, were a, were a, were a good team. They were, they made the Champions League semi-finals in the 2000-2001 season. They came out of a group that included AC Milan and Barcelona, so you, a strong group, you could say. They beat Lazio when they were a, they were a big deal and Deportivo La Coruña when they were challenging for, for Spanish titles. They eventually lose to Valencia in the, in the, in the semi-finals. I actually pretty vividly remember those games against uh, against Valencia between Leeds and Valencia. It was a big deal that Leeds were in the, the the semi-finals of the Champions League. If I were to compare it to a more recent run by a team, it kind of felt like Tottenham. It felt like a rising team getting, you know, Tottenham making the Champions League final a few years ago kind of felt like, okay, Tottenham are part of the elite now. It felt like that with Leeds United, but of course... They had spent beyond their means. They had a team at that point that, that included a lot of big names. Robbie Keane, Mark Viduka, Harry Kuehl, Rio Ferdinand. And his name is, is worth mentioning because he sums up a lot of what went wrong at Leeds. He was signed by Leeds for uh, £18 million. And that was the, the biggest deal they'd ever done. It was one of the biggest deals in Premier League history. Rio Ferdinand basically could have gone to any team in the Premier League. But he goes to Leeds United because they were they were paying the most money for him. And Leeds bit off more than they could chew and they, they spent themselves into an abyss under uh, Peter Ridsdale, who was the owner and chairman at that time. They were forced to sell off every basically every one of their good players until they just couldn't stop themselves falling through the trap door. And in 2004, they, they suffered relegation. Um, they had they went through financial meltdown. Their fall didn't stop there. They suffered relegation again in 2007 to League One, and they actually got stuck there for for three years. Mm. So the the recovery of Leeds under Marcelo Bielsa and the and the new ownership group that they have at the moment has really been a revival of of a very historic uh, English club that over the decades people have expected to be near the top of the English game. Yeah, and it was the chairman Peter Isdale who he took out significant loans against future TV and sponsorship revenues. Mm, um, which heard that somewhere before. Kind of familiar. <laughs> very familiar, doesn't it? And it's worth noting that during sort of the, the abyss, the lower lower levels for Leeds United, it took them 16 years to get back to the Premier League, basically, which is quite astounding in itself. But they, were, um, they went through a period of ownership from um, Massimo Cellino, who's a convicted financial fraudster. And they had 
Steve Evans as manager, convicted financial fraudster. Oh dear. So uh, yeah, not a great combo on in that particular period. Did Ken um, Bates not own Leeds for a period as well? Not that he, he is in that sort of company, but just in terms of famous uh, club owners, he owned Leeds for a, for a period, didn't he? He did. Yes, just as loved as he was at Chelsea, I imagine, Graham. Just as loved. <laughs> um, let's move on from Leeds to talk about another big club who had a surprising drop to the third tier. Uh, Manchester City Taylor, co-founders of the Premier League in 1992, 30 years ago, if we want to call them that. Uh, relegated in 96, two seasons later, find themselves in the third tier. Yeah, not quite where they are today. A, a slightly different uh, position for them. And I think it's kind of the opposite of what we were just talking about with Leeds. That if, again, if you're new to the game, you only know them as this juggernaut who can spend all the money and win every single thing. But, uh, yeah, we have, we have twice relegated or multiple times relegated, but relegated all the way to the third tier. We have them with, uh, then many years later, taxing Shinawatra coming in and owning them. There was a lot of uncertainty, a lot of instability at Man City before they had the, uh, the sugar daddy owners that made them they are today indeed graham pretty shocking it was because man city although not a club of the repute they are today were still a, ma- a massive club in the english uh, ecosystem yeah. weren't they and they still were getting you know thirty thousand people come along indeed. to third tier games actually can yeah, I, I was can I, ask, I, I just had a question sorry it's it's along the similar lines i i know my bias basically as a man united fan and that is the thing i've heard that before that city weren't as big of a club that's why they still like don't sell out their stadium even with all the talent they have i cannot tell if that's just me reading those things with red colored glasses or if it is maybe the case that they have always been a big club they've always been a club of a certain caliber and now they just have that much more money to kick th- them to that next level it's relative I think, yeah, it's relative. Exactly. That was the word I was going to use. So a, an example right now would be Nottingham Forest. So everyone says Nottingham Forest are a big club, deserve to be in the Premier League. Um, and I think that that's true. They are certainly um, uh, uh, belonging in the Premier League in terms of their club size. But you, you wouldn't necessarily say they're, they're the size of an Arsenal or a Liverpool or a Manchester United. So if they were to be elevated up to that level where they're cha- challenging for titles, the script might be flipped as it has with Manchester City where they're, you would maybe call them a smaller club and amongst the company that they've, they've been in. So I think, I think it's just relative and I was going to mention that the attendance of City that they had in the third tier so the final game of the of the season in the in the first division as it was then was an away game at Stoke City there was an attendance of 26,000 and two-thirds of that crowd were were Manchester City fans and and the strange thing about this period in Man City's history they suffered relegation three times in in seven years at the end of the at the end of the 90s the strange thing about this period is if you if you speak to Man City fans about this period in the club's history, and yes, there, there was there was a lot of pain, but it almost felt like the core identity of the club kind of came to the fore because it was essentially all they had because the team on the pitch was so poor. And I found a passage in an article about relegation to the third tier by Man City, and I'm just going to read it out. It says, "Being there when we were rubbish is not as important is not that important to our current Manchester City side, but the humility we learned when dealing with those experiences is what sets us apart from the other big clubs." And I thought that I thought that was quite apt, is because those the fans of Man United and Liverpool and and um, Arsenal, okay, maybe they've had, relatively speaking, difficult times, but compared to Manchester City, they've, they've experienced nothing, nothing like the core Manchester City fans have experienced. So I, th- I thought that was quite interesting. And, and City fans weirdly look back at that time. I wouldn't say with relish, they didn't enjoy it, but there was something about the core identity of the club coming to the fore that was enjoyable in a sense. Uh, Graham, we're going to move over to uh, shocking relegations on the European continent and the South American continent after a break. But before we do so, though, Glasgow Rangers, let's talk about that. 
Yeah, and as 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 listeners will know, Rangers suffered relegation. Although technically that's not correct, I'll come on to that. They they suffered relegation in in 2012. They are one half of Scottish football's dominant duo, along with Celtic. I'm not sure two clubs. Maybe someone a listener can fact check me on this, but I'm I'm not sure two clubs have dominated a league for as long as Celtic and Rangers have in Scotland. It's been 36 years since another team won the title in Scotland, and that was Sir Alex Ferguson's Aberdeen team. So that kind of tells you how long ago that was. And and not only this, Rangers and Celtic are dominant cultural influences in, in Scotland. It really does go beyond football. But Rangers, their problems started in the 90s when they were they were uh, actually paying some of the biggest wages in football. Paul Gascoigne played for them, so did Brown Loudrop, Mark Haitley, Ali McCoy's really big names, all on big wages. And that continued into the 2000s when Rangers spent big money on players like the De Boer brothers and Arthur Newman, who was a, a Netherlands international, and Mikel Arteta and Tori Andre Flo, who's, who's still Rangers record signing to this day, £17 million. And Rangers, what transpired was Rangers were paying a lot of these players through a tax scheme called uh, an EBT, an Employee Benefit Trust. And basically Rangers thought they could take advantage of a loophole to pay these players more than HMRC would claim tax back on. However, this was incorrect, ultimately. And so a decade or so later, HMRC found out that they'd been using this loophole and they demanded the money they were due in unpaid tax. And that amount was £94 million. And Rangers, who were already struggling financially a little bit at that time, just couldn't pay that. And so Rangers entered liquidation in 2012. And this is where it's a little bit different. They technically weren't relegated. The Scottish League rules dictate if that happens. As is the case in England, you get kicked out of the league structure if you entered liquidation. So technically speaking, what happened where it was, sorry, the Rangers were banished out of the league structure there was a big discussion over whether they should be allowed back in at the top flight, but the, the clubs decided that the normal rules applied and Rangers reapplied to the league structure and, and they joined in, in the third division again. And that is just something that I never expected to happen. My Sterling Albion were in the third division at that time and going to Ibrox and playing them in the league was very, very surreal. We were actually the first team to beat them in the third division. Um, we uh, had a good record against Rangers in the third division. It's basically all that we have over the last 10 years, but Rangers have since risen back through the divisions and won the Scottish Premiership title again uh, two years ago, I think it was. They have indeed. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's discuss another team who were shockingly relegated, but not for sporting reasons. Back shortly. Welcome back to Soccer 101. We are talking about shocking relegations. Before the break, Graham, we talked about Rangers and they were relegated, not necessarily for sporting reasons. Taylor, there's another team in Italy who had a similar fate bestowed upon them, but for not similar reasons. Uh, yeah, the Calciopoli scandal, Juve in 2005-2006, uh, multiple clubs impl- implicated, but only Juventus sent down to the second division for uh, effectively match-fixing, a lot of it relating to the uh, referees that were assigned to games, but also uh, a- attempts to influence other players and managers, led to them getting uh, relegated, fined, docked points, stripped of titles. I think they were initially sent to the second division with a negative 30 uh, point, point penalty. I think that was reduced to negative nine and they end up coming right back up because though they lost players like Ibrahimovic, Duram, uh, Cannavaro, and Patrick Vieira, they kept Gigi Buffon, Del Piero, pa- uh, Pavel Nedved, and many other players and were able to come right back up because those players are good enough to get you out of the Italian second division and right back into Serie A. 
Yeah, quite a shock this one, Graham, wasn't it? And um, they had two titles stripped away, of course, um, did Juventus. Uh, but you ask a Juventus fan and they still count those ones. <laughs> of, of course they do. Um, there's a good documentary on Netflix about all this called Bad Sport and it goes into the Calciopoli scandal and in particular Luciano Moggi's role in it in particular and basically Taylor referenced it there about the way he was essentially picking referees for Juventus games. He um, had a kind of a group of referees that he believed would be um, preferential towards, favourable towards uh, Juventus. The Calciopoli scandal did nothing for the discourse around referees because fans always like to think that certain referees are against their team or for another team. And of course, pretty much all the time, it's complete rubbish. But but in this case, unfortunately, it wasn't. And it did seem like there were a group of referees that were favouring Juventus. And as I say, Luciano Moggi was the, the one kind of pulling the strings. And he has since been banned from uh, all football activities in, in, in Italy. So he, he got punished. Juventus got punished. I saw that the Juventus got fined €75,000, which yeah, seems seem like much. pitiful <laughs> right. for what for what they were uh, found guilty of. But as... Yeah. As uh, Ryan, you said they were they were sent into Serie B, and, and I think they also started the following season with a nine point deduction, but they they came back up pretty quickly. They did indeed. Taylor, um, quite a few surprising relegations have occurred in the Bundesliga. Where would yeah, you like man. to start there? I mean, I, I think we could start in a couple of places, but I think Hamburg is probably one that deserves mentioning because they had the clock of hubris. It wasn't yeah. a clock of hubris for a very long time, but it came became one. Uh, Graham, am I correct in saying that they were count? It counted the like to the second or at least to the minute the amount of time they'd yeah. been in the Bundesliga without relegation. That's right. <laughs> it was a big clock in the stadium, and the reason I, re- I remember when when Ryan said, you know which teams yeah. in the Bundesliga have never been relegated, Hamburg always comes to mind because that was their thing. That mm-hmm. was their thing. They had they were the only ever-present club in the Bundesliga. They had that clock in the stadium. They proudly displayed it. And that clock stopped at 50, 55 years, sorry, and, and when they went down in 2018 to the, to the second tier. Wonderful stuff. It's, it's, it, I just... It's such a thing now in retrospect that like you have to really have that tradition of not getting relegated and be confident in the squad you've built, especially for a club that weren't at that time, they they weren't challenging for the Bundesliga title. They weren't yeah. challenging for Champions League places. That's a that's a bold thing to have up there, and I understand that you can't just take it down. That's pretty much waving a white flag if you do. But I, I have then wondered wh- they haven't returned. I wonder if they will wh- when they come back. If that clock will start back up at zero, or if they maybe will retire that one permanently. Or- They'll just pretend it never happened and it'll be 55 years, <laughs> 56 years, sorry. And we yeah, that right was the thing that, yeah, that was the thing that struck me was Hamburg, traditionally a big club. They've been a, a, a German superpower in the past. They won the European Cup in, in 83. Mm-hmm. They've had players like Kevin Keegan. But bef- the years before their <laughs> relegation, not, it wasn't. That's not a good argument. <laughs> no, the, 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 uh, the years before their relegation, it wasn't as if it just came out of the blue. They were edging closer and closer and closer. And I, I, did no one in, in the ultras or whatever their fan groups are called kind of think, maybe, maybe we should get rid of this clock. Maybe this is tempting fate. It's a little bit like Everton at this moment in time, having a, a clock that says we've never been relegated from the Premier League. As I say, it just seems like tempting fate a little bit. <laughs> it does indeed. Uh, so you know, obviously relegation is a bit more exciting, if you will, in Germany because they have a relegation playoff and Hamburg have flirted with that a few times. As have Graham, Hertha Berlin. Um, who obviously a club in the capital who play in the Olympic Stadium. It's kind of shocking that they've been relegated a few times. 
Yeah, and they, they are a strange club in that they play, I think we've covered this before in the podcast in, in the past, but they, they obviously play in Germany's capital city. They have, have a, a large-ish fan base. It's maybe not comparable to, to Bayern Munich or Dortmund, but it's still a, a fairly sizable uh, fan base. They play in the Olympic Stadium, obviously, so a, a large stadium. They've had very rich investors and owners who have kind of seen Hertha Berlin as as untapped potential and yet they've just never really been able to translate this into sustained uh, success and even when things have looked good for them like in the the late 2000s they finished fourth in the Bundesliga in 2009 they had Lucien Favre as as their manager a number of, of, of good players the season after that, they finished dead last in the Bundesliga and relegated down to the to the second tier. They suffered suffered financial difficulties, lost pretty much all their best players, including Andre Voronin and, and and Pantelic, and they came back up, of course, to the Bundesliga. But even now, they just seem to be battling against yeah. relegation every season, despite a lot of investment in their in their squad. Last season, they faced a relegation playoff against Hamburg and the battle of which big club is being run worse over the last few years <laughs> and only just managed to stay up. So even though Hertha in recent years have spent money, it just doesn't, doesn't really feel like it has any impact on their on their place in the table. And I think they're expecting another another difficult season this season. Yeah, and, it, and it's really strange because more recently it's been them sort of shooting themselves in the foot and financial irregularities, maybe overspending and then underspending and, and putting themselves in difficult situations. But to my understanding, if you go back far enough... I mean, they are a West German club, but they were in Berlin, and there's all the stories about uh, fans in in East Berlin who were Hertha supporters would go to the wall, and you could like still hear the crowd noise, so they could sort of follow the club. And I think that gave Hertha a leg up of sorts, but then once there's reunification, I think for a very long time, Berlin is not seen as a very attractive city to live because of that divide, because the eastern half of it, at least, it is backwards in the infrastructure and, and things like that. So I think Hertha hurt a little bit in that way after reunification, as strange as that sounds. Uh, and so they're able to then pull themselves up and have a bit of stability. But then I think the self-inflicted part starts much later because now Berlin, a wonderful city to live in by all accounts. Hertha, a less wonderful club to support if you like stability and regularity. Indeed. And on that note, Tete, yeah. Schalke fans must feel quite similar. Uh, mm-hmm. Back in the Bundesliga this season, they were relegated in 2020-21. Uh, they went winless in their first 14 fixtures. They had five managers in that season, which is kind of hilarious. Their top scorer in that relegation season in 21, Matthew Hoppy, with six goals. Yee. Yeah, 41 different players, I think, used in, in total in that season. That This is probably the closest I have come to like having a team that I care for care about experience relegation because uh, I'm not a, a born and bred Schalke fan by any stretch but they are the team that I think because of their American connection got my rooting interest it felt too too like on brand to be a Dortmund fan or a Gladbach fan uh, too very much glory hunting to be a Bayern Munich fan so I was I had my loyalties with Schalke and they felt like a team that had things figured out that would be there for a very long time, had the history, had the sort of industrial background, but then had had plenty of talent historically. And then even recently, uh, Manuel Neuer, a Schalke goalkeeper that then had to sign paperwork saying he would never, ever swear loyalty to Bayern Munich or whatever. I think that's changed since then. But Schalke have had plenty of players throughout the years, plenty of talent, uh, regular Champions League competitors. And so for their relegation to occur the way it did with just – 
really like massive amounts overspent the kind of all their hopes rested on making the champions league and then when they didn't there's an even bigger financial shortfall and to see them go from where they were to where they've been and now back in the bundesliga but still very much struggling being very frugal and trying to be smart with how they're spending their money it's just it's a pretty dramatic fall uh for a team that were at the standard that they were at only 10 or 15 years ago Graham, let's head to Spain. Um, one of the more shocking relegations in recent years, if we can call it recent years. Uh, it doesn't. It's over twenty years ago now, but it's Atletico Madrid <laughs> at the turn of the millennium. Yeah, basically what you're saying is we're old and yeah. we all kind of remember Atletico yeah. not being good, but they have been good for quite a while under Diego Simeone. They were actually good in the nineties. They they won La Liga in the nineteen ninety five ninety six season, but finished second bottom of the league just four seasons later and were relegated to the Segunda Division. This was the first time in 65 years that they they dropped out of the the Spanish top flight. Um, But things really just piled on top of them. They had financial issues. They had a criminal investigation against the owners and the people who ran the club at that time. And that had a direct impact on the quality of the squad. And Atleti spent two seasons in the Segunda Division at the start of the millennium. Obviously, things have got a lot better from there. Luis Aragones was appointed the man, their, their manager um, after they suffered relegation. They get back up into La Liga. Fernando Torres breaks through in the, their first season back in La Liga. So obviously, that makes a, a big difference. They went through a, a good run of producing world-class centre-forwards even after Torres left and then you fast-forward to 2011 and Diego Simeone arrives and obviously they become the club that that we know today complete with uh, Spaceship Stadium out by the airport but for a long time (laughs) Atletico Madrid were a very, very volatile club they were capable of of really good things of great achievements but also terrible failures like the the relegation from La Liga in in 2000 And um, Atletico Madrid in fact relegated Villarreal in 2012, Tete. Nice leap there. That they did, my friend. That's another one that is sort of surprising and sort of not surprising. It gets included on a lot of different lists for the most shocking relegations. And I understand why, because Villarreal at the time had plenty of talent and plenty of, of talented players. Uh, but there's, this is one where there is, there's always going to be financial issues that lead to relegation. I was trying to find clubs that were relegated for like just having like like injury issues or squad depth <laughs> issues and you'll get those but those are never going to be surprising because that's kind of what happens when you're a smaller club trying not to spend money usually there will be financial irregularities and then that can be exacerbated by injury and that is definitely the case with Villarreal at certain points in the season they struggled to field like a full squad for a match day game because they just did not have enough players so many different injuries but this is one that gets talked about as particularly odd because this is a club that were relegated in the same year that they were participating in the Champions League. I think they finished fourth the season before. And that gets talked about a lot. What gets talked about less is that uh, that Champions League group stage they were in. Uh, they're in a group with Bayern Munich, Napoli, and Manchester City. Uh, a different Manchester City, I believe, at that time. Uh, but so it's like, oh yeah, they're in the Champions League. I can't believe they're relegated. And then you look at their group stage and it was zero wins, zero draws, six losses, two goals for 14 against. That does feel like a team that were definitely on their way to getting relegated and that they were. But still, for a team that had the talent, had the kind of energy, the excitement, Giuseppe Rossi was in there. I think Josie Althador was maybe on loan at that point. But still, it, it was a, a team that I cared about for reasons like that, but also just because they were another fun team in Spain. So to see them go down was a bit of a surprise yeah Ron Burgundy that escalated quickly gifts all round yeah right <laughs> um 
let's uh, quickly head over to South America sure. as well. See, um, plenty of relegation stories there. River Plate might be the standout, Taylor. Yeah, I think so. Uh, because the way it works in Argentina and in many South American nations is that you don't get relegated for one bad season. It requires multiple bad seasons. I think in this case, it would have been three for River, but they finished bottom of the table once. Then they have two very unsuccessful campaigns to follow. That leads them to a relegation playoff, which they absolutely were expected to win versus Belgrano de Cordoba. Uh, and they did not. They lost the first leg. They drew the second in a game that I believe did not end up being finished because their fans stormed the pitch with two minutes remaining in frustration. There are plenty of videos of supporters ranting, of media members ranting publicly, uh, including things that cannot be repeated on air or else we'll have to bleep a whole bunch of things. But for a club of their size and stature in Argentina, I, I think... It was a shock, but then also adding insult to injury, uh, their major rivals, Boca, not only won the title that season, but I believe that makes them the only of like Argentina's big five clubs to never be relegated. So to lose that sort of co-title in the same season that they were relegated and to have their rival win the title at the same time was probably not a fun time for River, who I think returned the very next season, kept a lot of their players, were able to find their way right back up and have gone on to since win multiple titles. There you go. Relegation. You don't know what you're missing out on, MLS. Um, so that's a, a good sort of round the houses look at some of the biggest shocking relegations. There's probably some honourable mentions out there. Newcastle yeah. go, getting relegated twice in the last few years, Taylor. Or maybe, yeah. maybe West Ham as well. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Because for, for me, West Ham sort of became a yo-yo club when, when I was like coming into Premier League fandom. And, and I think it's, it's this team uh, that, that did it. It was, what, the 2002-2003 squad that ends up getting relegated. But like it's it's for the depth of talent they had. I think they finished seventh the season before, but they ended up getting 42 points. Usually if you get the 40, that's enough to keep you safe. They won at nine of their last 10 games, which seemed like they were on the streak. They still had to do a lot of work to get to that point, but they don't, and they get relegated. But that means they had they lose a lot of the talent they had, and this is a squad that featured uh, David James, Trevor Sinclair, Joe Cole, Jermaine Defoe, Glenn Johnson, Michael Carrick. Uh, I, I think I can keep going. I think it's not just those names. Uh, I can't remember if I said Joe Cole, Les Ferdinand in there, uh, Paulo Decanio, Freddy Canute. There's so much talent in that team for them to go down the way they did uh, is just it's it's surprising, even if West Ham, for the longest time, then getting relegated wasn't as surprising. I think it would be nowadays. I think we'd be pretty shocked to see them go down. We would do. Uh, certainly as the UK taxpayer pays for their stadium, Graham. I am, that would be <laughs> yeah, we can, we can blame Boris Johnson for that one, amongst many, many other things. <laughs> Indeed, that's another conversation altogether. But let's wrap up this Soccer 101 to say, Taylor Rockwell, thank you so much for walking us through some of those big old relegations. My pleasure. Thank you, buddy. Uh, Graham Rutten, thank you very much. You will never be relegated in my heart. Ah, thanks, Ryan Bailey. And listener, thank you so much for joining us on this one. We'll be back on the feed very shortly with another. But for now, catch you later.